0: You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church, Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Heavenly Father, we've sung, we've greeted each other, we've heard announcements, And all of that, Father, is part of who we are as your people. But as we come into this moment to stand before you in the presence of your word, we come to encounter you directly as the word of life. And it is our prayer, our hope, our need, and our desire to hear your voice into our lives. Lord, thank you for what we get to do as a church, to care for the homeless, to reach out to others, to love, to share, to be a blessing. But Lord, we can't do that unless we have your power within us unless we have your new life within us. And so, Lord, we pray for this new life to grow in our hearts. We pray that your word today would inspire new life, would encourage us in the things that you've made us to do and to be. Lord, our message today is titled, A New Love Making New People. Lord, make us new today. Renew us. Strengthen us. Bless us, encourage us, help us, empower us. Lord, we ask for this all. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So today is the final sermon of the series, Making All Things New. It's the tenth sermon that we've been hearing about many ways that God wants us to experience new things to experience new life, and to have an opportunity in our lives to be renewed all the time so that every day can be a new day. The title of the series is All Things New. But we've also talked about what it means to be a new creation, that God in Jesus makes us a new creation. He gives us new life. He gives us a new vision for life. He renews our faith. He gives us new songs to sing. He works on us on the inside and on the inside out to give us a new way of life. And now today we come to the final message of the series. We could have many more messages in this series on new. But I want us to consider a new love. A new love that God has given to us that is also a constant command. So if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 13 34 through 35. John chapter 13, 34 through 35. And as soon as you find it, we're going to read it together. And you can just read it in whatever version that you have. John 13, 34, and 35. Let's read it together. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. These are great words to us and we're going to unpack them today and understand the context in which they are given to us. But because these are also short words, I think it really helps us to be able to also look at what it says literally in these short verses there. So if you look up on the screen, you can see a new commandment And these are the literal words that are there. If we were just to read the Greek literally, it says, A commandment new I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that also ye love one another. By this shall know all men, that my disciples ye are, if ye have love one to another." And so we see in these verses that Jesus is speaking to us and he says, here is a commandment that I give to you and it's a new one. It's a brand new commandment. But if we think about it, and if you know the Bible, it's not just a new commandment. In fact, it's actually in the Old Testament as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then in Leviticus it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In the New Testament, in Mark chapter 12, we have it as the great commandment, where Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandments of all? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He was quoting Deuteronomy. And then Jesus said, and the second one is this. To love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus. And so, how is it that Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a new commandment? Well, the word new here in the New Testament means fresh. Fresh. It means to experience something in a brand new way. It's the opposite of being worn out. It's something that is constantly being replenished. And so what Jesus is saying to us here is that I want you to experience the commandment anew every day. How can we do that? Jesus is going to tell us. And the first thing that Jesus wants to know in experiencing this type of love, this type of newness, is that there's going to be a paradox in our life. There's going to be a paradox in experiencing this kind of love. And the paradox is this, that to obey the commandment it is mandatory. We must do it. And some of your Bibles translates it, you must love one another. But at the same time, it's also voluntary. It is a commandment. A commandment new I give unto you, literally. It is mandatory. It's interesting that Jesus comes to his disciples and In many ways, this is like his last will and testament. This is the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. Jesus is with his disciples on this night. And he's about to celebrate the Lord's Supper with them. He knows that he's going to die. And these are his parting words to his disciples. These are the words that Jesus gives his disciples. And he doesn't say, you know, I'm going to die for you. Will you do this? He doesn't say, you know, I love you so much, and this is what I ask of you. He says to you and to me as he says to his disciples, this is a commandment. This is mandatory. This is what I have decided that you must do. When we think of somebody commanding us, most of the time I think we think of that as negative. But in this case, I think it's one of the most positive things that God could ever do for us. Because it represents His respect for us. Yes, it's our responsibility. It is our responsibility to obey in a commandment. But it is also respect for us. For example, as a father, when I ask my children to do something or I command them to do something, I want them to do it not because they fear me, but out of respect. I do command them, but I do so out of love. Jesus commands us, and he does so out of respect and out of love. He can't make us do it, but he can tell us to do it. In John chapter 15, if you would turn in your Bibles there, John 15, 12. Okay, so just earlier on, John, I'm sorry, a couple of chapters later, John chapter 15, verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 15. And Jesus is saying very similar things here to his disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now if we think about commanding, Who usually does the commanding? A master does the commanding. And to whom does he usually command? He commands his servants. I mean, do you have a servant? Do you have a slave? Well, yeah, some of us are laughing and maybe our husband or our wife, we feel that way. Some of us maybe feel our children are like that. But Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm not commanding you as a master to a servant. I'm commanding you as a master to a friend. I'm commanding you as my friends. I don't call you servants. I call you friends. Yet I command you to love each other. Turn with me now to the epistle of John, 1 John, chapter 4. So we were just in John. I like to call that Big John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel. And then towards the end of the Bible, the epistles, Little John. There's three of them. First, second, and third of Little John. But we're going to go to 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19. And there John says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. John got it. John understood. It is mandatory. We must love our brothers. If I say that I love God, has anyone ever called you a liar to your face? Wow. Wow. You know, that's pretty direct, right? That could be an insult. And John says, and he's writing to believers, if you say you're a Christian, then you will love God. But if you say you love God, you will love your brothers and sisters. Otherwise, you're a liar. Say that word with me. Liar. Say, so, so you're a liar, Say it like you mean it. No, I'm not. Because I want to love you. And I want you to love me. I know some of us don't know each other yet. But because we share Christ, you are commanded to love me, even if you don't know me. And I'm commanded to love you, even if I don't know you yet. Because I am part of your family in Christ. It is mandatory. As a friend of Jesus, I am told that I must love you. And it is God's respect that gives me the choice. that I don't have to. I don't have to love you. See, Jesus commands me to, just like I can command my, my children to do something, but they don't have to do it it's still also voluntary. And that's the other side of the paradox. It's mandatory, but you also must agree to do it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7 through seven is up on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus was in heaven, and all things were perfect. Jesus is with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and they are in perfect heaven. There's no problems. They're in perfect peace. They're in perfect harmony. They've made man. they made man reflect the image of God. And man sinned, And because God is holy, the punishment for sin was death. And in the Trinity, it was decided that there would be a Redeemer, that there would be a Savior, and that it would be the Son. And the Son voluntarily, as the Bible says here in Philippians 2, got off his throne, even though he's in very nature, God. He didn't hold on to his prerogatives as God. He didn't hold on to his throne. He didn't stay in perfect heaven where there was all peace and no suffering. But he became a man. And he took on flesh just like you and me. Who would you die for? Who would you suffer for? Who would you go out of your way to leave your comforts and experience suffering so they don't have to? Jesus did all of that for you and for me. He voluntarily came out of heaven to earth to be like us, to experience what we experience to know the temptations, but without sinning, to know the pain, to know the hurt, to know what it's like to bleed, to know what it's like to cry, to know what it's like to suffer, to know what it's like to be alone, to know what it's like to be abandoned, to know what it's like to be betrayed. He did all of that voluntarily. And that's an example for you and me Likely, we don't have to die for other people, but we do have to die to ourselves and our desires for other people. We give up what we want for their good. We learn to love in such a way that even though I don't have to, I do. And the Bible says that this is to be among the power, the the presence of God's people. This is to be among God's people. See, as we go on, and we see that there is power that God wants us to have, and as we look at the second part of the verses, it says, As I have loved you, that also ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. God wants us to experience this power. It is from Christ, It is through us, but it is for all other fellow believers. Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he was telling them, I want you to love each other. I want you to care for each other as I have loved you. This is also another way in which this love, this commandment was brand new. In the Old Testament, the people were trying to obey this to earn their salvation, to earn their their love from God. But Jesus had come down to earth, and now he was showing us a new way of love, a way of love that God himself would come down and serve his people. Go back to our main passage in John chapter 13, but in verse 1. John chapter 13, verse 1. And here we'll see the context of this passage that we're looking at in 34 and 35 about the commandment to love. Because Jesus says, as I have loved you, how did he love them? Verse one, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. He showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him, washed his disciples' dirty feet. The master. The master who could command took off his clothes and he wrapped the towel around himself. And he humbly got down on his hands and knees and he washed the feet of his disciples. This was a sign, it says, of the full extent of his love. Think about that. The full extent of his love up until the cross was washing his disciples' feet. If I think about that in application, that means the full extent of our love. Up until the point of dying for somebody else would be to wash somebody else's feet that the full extent of your love and my love would be to wash somebody else's feet, feet that are dirty, feet that are smelly. Now it doesn't mean that just literally. It's also a picture of how we are to treat each other humbly, to care for each other, to put somebody else's needs ahead of our own. To serve them, even when they don't deserve it, to give to them, to love them, indeed, and not just in action. I could command. Again, I use my children as an example. Of course, it was better when they were little. But I could command my children when they were little to go up and let's say to Adolf and say, "Hey, say I love you, Uncle Adolf." And they're like, "Who's Uncle Adolf?" Right. I said, say I love you. And so, out of obedience, they go, I love you. Did it. Done. So that they can obey in that way. But now if I say to them, hey, I want you to love, I'm going off. And they're like, how? How can I do that? How can I love somebody I don't know? How can I love somebody who's a stranger to me? How do we love other people? It's interesting that the Bible has to tell us to love each other, because we naturally want love all the time, by one of the greatest needs, if not the greatest need that we have. And yet the Bible commands us to love one another. And even more strangely, the Bible has to command a husband to love his wife. Now, shouldn't that just be natural? I mean, shouldn't the husband already love his wife? In, in um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the Bible says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible has to teach us how to love. So this is how we love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Now, when children are little, they don't understand it. But when we grow up, all of us here should understand this. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice that we make. Husbands, you must sacrifice yourselves as Christ sacrificed himself for the church. This is the way you love your wife. So even though it may seem strange that God has to tell a husband to love his wife, he does. But he also has to tell him how to do it. And that is sacrificially. Sacrificially. The Bible also has to tell women to love their husbands and teach them how to even love their children. And you think, well, that ought to be pretty normal too, right? A, a woman would just naturally, she may not always love her husband, but she'll always love her children. Well, maybe not so. Because we read there in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, that this is the lesson that are to be taught to older women and that they are to train the younger women to do what? To love their husbands, and their children. Wow. Older women have to teach younger women how to love their husbands and how to love their children. Is it because they don't feel love for their children? Probably not. Is it because they don't feel some love for their husbands? Probably not. It's because they have to learn how to do this love. And that's what we all have to learn. We have to learn how to do love. Christ gives us love so that we can love other people. Love is not a feeling. It's a what? You weren't listening. Love is not a feeling. It's a, a it's a choice. God wants us to choose to love. Turn with me to 1 John. Again, little John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Now, you're very familiar with John 3.16. Here's another really good John 3.16, only it's little John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. And there it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. There it is. That's how we love. We give up our lives for our brothers and sisters because Jesus gave up his life for us. We are to help each other. We are to serve one another. We are to love and bless each other. I want you just to to look around the room right now. Okay, go ahead and stand up. Stand up, it'll be easier that way. And just sort of look around the room, look at everybody and notice the people you know and maybe there's some new people there you don't know. You can greet them afterwards. Just just look at them. Okay, now look around. Now, I want you to find the person in the room that you least like. All right? So look at the person that you least like. Ah, all right. So you know that. All right? All right, now you've got that. Okay, you may be seated. All right? All right. Now. All right. Now that you've got that firmly in your mind. Who is that person? I want you to know that that person who you least like has the greatest potential to help you to be more like Jesus than anybody else in this room. Let me say that again. The person you least like in this room. Now, now, remember, this is to Christians. So I'm assuming here that most of us are Christians, all right? what's interesting is we're going to find out what happens if we're not a Christian and why it's such a blessing to be here this morning. But for those of us who are Christians and you looked around and if you think you're a Christian and if the person you looked at thinks they're a Christian, then you are commanded by Jesus to love them. Now if you don't like them very much, they have tremendous power to help you in your life. Because Jesus loves them. Jesus loves them just like Jesus loves you. And to learn to forgive that person, to learn to accept that person, to learn to fellowship with that person will make you more like Jesus than fellowshipping with somebody who you already like. It's easy to fellowship with people that we like. But if we can learn to like and love the people we don't naturally have an affinity towards because they are our brother or sister, we become more like Jesus who loves all of his children just the same, who loves all of us just as much. He didn't die more for me than for you. He didn't die more for you than for me. He died equally for each and every one of us once and for all. And God says that our power to learn this love of Christ comes when we learn to love those that we least like who are part of the fellowship of Jesus. So then you come across this person whom you least like. God asks you to get to know them. God asks you to reach out to them. God asks you to forgive them or to receive forgiveness from them. This is reconciliation. This is love. This is learning how to be more and more like our Savior. It is the power. There is not much power in loving somebody who's easy to love, but there is amazing power, and it comes from Jesus, that we are able to love the person we dislike. Is it easy? No. Of course not. It's not easy. Many of us enjoy reading the message version, the translation of the Bible. It's just a paraphrase of the Bible. It helps us understand it in a fresh way. The author of that book, The the Message, is Eugene Peterson. And in a book that he wrote called Living the Message, he says this, and you can see it there on the screen. Every day, I put love on the line. There is nothing I am less good at than love. I am far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and make my mark than I am at figuring out how to love another. I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily. Open myself to the frustrations and failures of loving. Daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Every day we're given an opportunity to express and experience and grow in this power. Why? Why is this so important? It's so important because God has a purpose for this love. And the purpose is that it is to build us up as disciples. It makes us more and more like the followers of Jesus. And it brings witness into the world. Verse 35 literally says this, By this shall know all men that my disciples ye are, if ye have love one to another. I remember earlier I had said that this commandment is to Christians, and most of us probably are Christians here, but maybe some of you here are not yet Christians. It's a great day to be here. Because what you are learning about today validates what you think. And that is, do Christians really live out what they say? Or are they just hypocrites? And I think that's one of the the greatest complaints. And sometimes it's just a smokescreen, but sometimes it's very genuine. That a non-believer really wants to know, is this Christianity thing really true? Do these people really believe what Jesus taught? So much so that it has changed their lives so that they would love even me. And how do we prove this? How do we show to somebody who's not yet a Christian that what we believe is real? We love one another. And as we do, we grow as disciples We grow in the power of becoming more and more like Jesus, but we don't do it on our own. In fact, we can't do it on our own. Romans 5, 5 says, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who He has given to us. God gives us the Holy Spirit. God pours out His love into our life through His Holy Spirit. Again, in Little John 3, verse 23 John says, and this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. Those who obey His commands live in Him, and He in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. The Spirit He gave us is revealed in the love that He gives to us to give to other people. We don't show the love of Christ in this world by loving ourselves. We show the love of Christ in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit to love those that we least like in the church. And we learn to love each other deeply. We learn to love each other in a genuine way, in a constant way. John is telling us that this is the mark of the believer to have love in our hearts. It is the evidence to one another and it is the evidence to the world that Jesus is real and that our faith is real. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. And this is a great verse for you to mark in your Bibles or to highlight. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We are to be wearing this kind of clothes, compassion, and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience. We are to bear with each other. We are to forgive each other. This is what our community is to be like. This is the love that we are to have for one another and with one another. A love that binds them all in unity. God has blessed us and given to us an opportunity of giving love to other people. A couple years ago, Carol and I were able to go to Italy and to tour Italy. And when we were in Florence, we got to see the statue. And it, it's a famous statue. And earlier on, in the beginning of service today, we read Psalm 103. It was written by David. And he talks about the new love that God gives to us. David was a man who loved God. And Michelangelo carved this amazing statue of David. It stands 17 feet high. And if you ever have a chance to go to Florence or go to Italy, you've got to go. You've got to see the statue. It's amazing. And so when we were doing the tour, our tour guide was telling us stories about this statue. And there were things that we never knew other than the fact that it's 17 feet tall. It's carved out of one full piece of marble. But in it, David was trying to depict to, to things in, um, Michelangelo was trying to depict things in David so that when we look at it, we could see what David might have been thinking, what David might have been feeling. The artist told us that Michelangelo wanted to depict David as beautiful, as beautiful. And so that's why David's naked, right? I only showed him from the top up because it's PG in here. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, he's naked, right? Didn't have any clothes on? Well, Michelangelo did that because he believed the whole body was beautiful. But he spent a special amount of detail on his face, on David's face. And our tour guide told us that in the face of David... Michelangelo wanted to depict courage. So there's beauty and then there's courage. And David is holding around his shoulder the sling that he's going to use to spell Goliath. And so this carving of David is about David where he's just about to throw the slingshot at Goliath and kill him. And so the sling is around his shoulder. And in the face of David there is to be courage And he also wanted us to see that David had a soul. And so David had eyes. So if you look at here, David has eyes where there is a cornea, there's even a pupil. But in that day, most of the statues were like this Greek one, where there's no cornea, no iris, no pupil. And the reason is the Greeks didn't believe that people had a soul, they only had a body. But David was a believer in God. And he believed that God had given a soul to man. So this is a close-up of David looking straight at him. And you see that David, Michelangelo carved David's eyes with an iris, with a cornea, and with the pupil. But notice something about the pupil. What shape did he carve the pupil in? What does it look like? It's a heart. You look carefully, you'll see that the pupils are carved in the shape of a heart. David had found out that by carving it in that way, he was able to depict the reality of an eye, even in a stone carving. God wanted us to know through Michelangelo's carving that God loves us, that David loved God, that David loved to do the things that God wanted him to do. And so as we look at David, And as we look at his face, what our artist was telling us was that Michelangelo wanted us to know that David was looking at life through the eyes of love. David was looking at life through the eyes of love. And this is a challenge for you and for me. This is our purpose in life to grow in love, to show the love of Christ as His disciples, that the world would know the love of Christ through us, that we would have eyes of love for other people, to care for them, to love them, to do the things in this world, to serve God as David served God with eyes of love, to face our giants with eyes of love, trusting in God's love to help us, trusting in His Holy Spirit to help us. God calls us to a life Of love. He calls us to a life of sacrifice. He calls us to a life of being more and more like Jesus. And he calls us to a life of choosing to obey him. Even when it's hard. And so these are challenges for us. That if we want to continue to learn and to have all things new. And to make all things new. We will learn to love as God loves. We will learn to give as Jesus gives. We will learn to forgive as Christ did. We will learn to have the kind of love for God as David had. We will love. We will give. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. And this week, God's going to give you plenty of opportunities to choose to love. Remember to do that. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us and for the gifts of all that you give and the greatness of who you are. And Father, we pray that as we go out into the world, we would be a people who love others, who show the love of Christ. Lord, that it would be what we want to do, not just what we must do, but because you love us and because we love you, we will love one another and love the world as you do.